Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. Welcome to episode seven. Sean, how do you feel reaching the magic number 10? (laughs) I feel good. I mean, the weather's weird. It's like middle of November and it's 90 degrees outside. I don't know if it's reached 100 where you're at. Is it hot where you've been? I mean, Redlands is, it's a desert, so it's always pretty hot. (laughs) Actually, you know, I didn't really put together that it's November and super warm outside. Yeah, just so used to our uh, endless summers here, right? Yeah, endless summers and then being in Vietnam for so long, just not used to it being cold. Oh, never thought about that. Yeah, Vietnam's pretty far south that there's no winter there either. Yeah, the two seasons are rainy season or not rainy season. (laughs) Which is crazy, right? For us coming from Michigan, where we actually have four seasons. I miss seasons though. Do you? I do for like a week when I go back to Michigan. I'm just like, ooh, this is like cold and nippy. And you're just like, man, this is this is different. And then after about a week, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you just need like two weeks of winter. And then fall and spring should be longer. But Michigan doesn't have that, unfortunately. No. Yeah, my week, I think partially because of the weather, partially because I just haven't been getting a lot of sleep or enough sleep. And then partially because I think I've been pushing myself pretty hard physically the past week. Like I went to the gym three times. I went climbing. I think I went cycling. And I think I ate some bad food Wednesday. And it was like Thursday, I was just super sick. Just terrible. (laughs) It was like the worst I felt. Combination of just all the physical exertion. Your body wasn't used to it. (laughs) I think so. Either that or I was just like so physical that I was releasing a lot of toxins stored up in the fats. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I just didn't have a good way to process it. But yeah, I felt super sick on Thursday and that knocked me out for like half a day. But what was funny was like, I, I just pushed through. I had a bunch of calls and just very serendipitous that both calls, like two of the calls in the morning actually got canceled. One of the people actually got sick as well. And I pushed through like by noon and then just had two calls. And then I was like feeling like back to normal. Oh, that's good. But other than that, struggles for the week are the same, just challenges with fatherhood. <laughs> Just being a dad, having a son who's almost two years old, and he's just really fun to be around now. I mean, he was fun before, but you know, he was just a baby, right? <laughs> so they don't do much other than eat and sleep. But now he's really interactive, and I just want to spend more time with him. And and obviously, it doesn't help to be running two businesses. <laughs> right, right. And he's coming into his own personality now. Yeah. So you start to see him pick up his own little quirks, maybe see a little bit of you, a little bit of your wife, (laughs) and a little bit of something else. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from that, I think the biggest struggles are still just to make sure we stay on track for the business, for Clever. Had a bunch of wins, actually. I got interviewed by this podcast called Podland News. They are like one of the top news-related podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they interviewed me about Clever, and that was pretty exciting. When's that airing? By the time this releases, it'll have aired. It's pretty exciting. It's like our first PR piece. Some other struggles, now that I think back, I had this prior week were around 
which actually was another struggle from the week prior, was having team members and having to move them around. The full context is that you know there's a saying in this book that I really like called Traction, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, where they say, you know, you want to make sure you hire the right people and you put them in the right seats. The worst is to have the wrong people in the wrong seats, right? But second worst thing is to have the right people in your teams, but have them in the wrong seats. And we had come across a situation because both Alumni FM and Clever FM has been growing so fast that collectively we have over 30 people now in our teams, which is crazy to think about because it's only been like a year, a year and a half. But naturally, you're going to have problems like you have the right people. We spent a lot of time recruiting and hiring people, but they have a mismatch in terms of their, their role based on their superpowers or skill sets or interests and personality. And so that was kind of a big headache for me the past two weeks was having two very talented people, but not having an immediate solution as to, well, where am I going to move them, right? Part of the beauty of a startup is that we can be pretty flexible, but at the same time, you don't want to just create jobs for the sake of creating jobs. They have to be value-adding positions. And so what I share with my team all the time is like the easy solution as leaders is just to fire them. Because you're like, well, you're awesome, but I don't know where to put you, or I don't have a role for you, and I don't have the time to create a, a new role for you. That's the easiest solution. But I think as good leaders, we don't gravitate towards easy solutions. So the harder thing would be to try to figure out how do we find the right role for this person. But the beauty of a startup is that there's always something to be done. <laughs> like There's a million yeah. things that we should be, could be, need to be doing. What happened to their original role? Well, one of them was brought on very hastily in the sense that the hiring process was long, but once we brought them on, they were supposed to replace one of the people I brought over from Alumni FM to Clever FM, one of our program managers, senior project managers. But we didn't really have time to onboard her at the time because there was just so much going on. And so we kind of just floated her as to like whatever was open-ended you know, open projects I need to get managed or done. We just had her do. So her job wasn't very clear because what she was hired to do was very different from what she ended up doing. And by the time that we realized this, we'd had actually hired another person. She was hired for podcast management, podcast project management. And what that entails is managing like this podcast that we're doing right now, right? There's mm -hmm. a project manager that will take this file after we record it. They will then pass it along to the appropriate party, the next step in the chain, which is the editor, they will then process the audio, balance it out because our two volumes might be different. They will clean out any mistakes, any retakes that we do. Then after that, it gets passed to the producer who does kind of like the content editorial judgment calls. They'll be like, oh, this whole 20-minute banter between Sean and James doesn't really add much to the conversation. So we're just going to cut that out. <laughs> for example, I think for ours, it's much less, but just for example, right? And then this project manager is managing the workflow of this file, making sure it's that moving to the right party. And then at the same time, concurrently, once it's in the producer stage, passing it off, sharing that also with the social media person and the copywriter to write up the description, the show notes, look through the transcriptions to see if there's any quotable moments. They're managing this whole process. And then obviously, once all this is done and approved, then they publish it and mm -hmm. do all this stuff. So that's what that person was brought on for, but 
we didn't have any podcasts for her to manage at the time. It just so happened that there was a gap because some mm-hmm. of the clients that we were working with, their podcasts are seasonal. So their season had ended and the new season's not going to start for another like two, three months. And so there was kind of like this gap period. So we're just like, all right, just fill in whatever projects. Mm-hmm. But once we realized that we actually still needed this person, this role, we hired another person that was also in our pipeline of interviews. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really tough challenge because it was like, well, do we let one of them go? Right, right, right. Or do I try to figure out where can we place them? And so the clever workaround was I realized, hold on, that second person that we had just brought on, they have a lot of experience with customer sales, customer um, service. And over at Clever, so separating the companies, I'm talking strictly over at Alumni FM. Over at Clever, we needed a customer service person. And I was like, hold on, I just put one and one together. Why don't we move this new person that we're having produce podcasts and manage podcasts, move over to the customer service role in Clever, and then move the original person we hired for podcast management that is just doing an assortment of projects right now and move them into podcast production management. Yeah, That way, everybody has a role and we don't need to let anybody go. Nice. Problem solved. That was my headache for two weeks. Because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, it's, it's like the last thing I want to think about. I'm like, there's a million other things on my plate. Last thing I want to think about is like, I have to figure out where can I move this person in our organization? And if I can't, yeah. I have to create a new role. What is that role? It was a lot to manage, but it's a good challenge because once you figure it out, it's very rewarding. You're like, awesome. We get to keep both of these people. We don't have to let anybody go. Yeah. And especially because you said that a lot of your shows are seasonal. So when the season starts again, you'll probably need her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's something that we are building up and we're okay with some slack because that slack is used to help produce a show like this <laughs> where, you know, it's our pet project and we have the support. We have their amazing support to help us produce this. So that's kind of cool. And we can actually do some pro bono projects. We actually use a lot of that slack too to create pilots. Let's say like there's a school or a organization or a business that we're pitching. We will offer to create a pilot for them, like a pilot episode. That way they can kind of get a taste of what the podcast would sound, look, and feel like and get some potential audience feedback from their alumni base or from that business's customers and see if they want to continue. That's cool. It's part of our way of doing marketing for Alumni FM because we don't really do any marketing. We don't spend money on ads or anything like that. (laughs) It's a production service and it's mostly word of mouth or outbound sales. And so, yeah, it's kind of where we're at. And that's what I've been struggling with. Well, yeah, I was just thinking like it's like you probably in your head, you compartmentalize Alumni FM and Clever FM and then trying to like piece it together in your head. It's probably a lot there trying to juggle people between. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty lucky in that I have a pretty solid team over at Alumni FM. My brother is leading the sales efforts there and we have like a sales and marketing team that's working on a marketing and PR campaign. That's completely out of my purview. Like, I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> like, I have no idea. That's awesome. And the same with podcast production. <laughs> podcast production, I created the system. My team members, my teammates, you know, they help refine it. And I wouldn't say it's a well-oiled engine. It's an oiled engine that is, you know, <laughs> continuously improving. But I don't have to do much 
for the business, which is kind of cool. After a year, you know, I've been able to automate it. But I automated it too, funny enough, out of necessity because I needed to devote 100% of my time to Clever. So yeah, it was just like a forcing function that I want to say it just worked out. But I hate it when like entrepreneurs say that, like, oh, it's just a stroke of luck. No, like it wasn't. When I, <laughs> if I really digged into it, I was very intentional throughout to build processes, to encourage my team members to build processes. And I've always believed this ever since I learned this from building my first business with Phil, Xenon Supply, in that you want to build processes so that you can automate and be replaceable. Now, that sounds terrible to some people and terrifying. It's true, though. But to me, that's exciting because then that allows you to move up, right? If you are not replaceable, then you're going to be stuck in that role in that position forever. Right. And most people, again, they're like, oh my God, if I'm replaceable, then I'm going to lose my job. It's like, you want to lose your job because you want a better job. You want to move up, right? I want to be replaceable. Many business owners are afraid to be replaceable because they think, oh, someone's going to steal my business. It's like, if they have that kind of motivation, go ahead. But if you treat people well, they're not going to steal your business. Because if they can move up in your organization, they would rather collaborate and work with you. Like I want people to move up because I'd rather have people become business partners on the next venture because I'm helping them grow and they want to work with me (laughs) because they find value in it. But if I treat them like shit by just keeping them where they're at, like most business owners do, it's like you just stay in your lane and I don't want to build any processes because I don't want you to steal my business then it's like they can never move up and they get frustrated and you can't grow your business. You can't scale it because you're not processes. Yeah. And the business just becomes stale. Yep. That's the difference between, you know, like a Chinese restaurant and like freaking PF chains. And I actually learned this very fondly from working at Burger King when I was in high school. And similarly, you know, with McDonald's, you're just like, dude, these are billion dollar enterprises run by a bunch of like high school and college students. How do they do that? Well, they have processes. Like I remember working at Burger King, like on the cashier screen, there was like literally like a stickered card, laminated card that said like your script, like welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order? Da, 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 right? The thing at the very top wasn't welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order? The first step on that card was smile. Oh. <laughs> and it's like so obvious. And most people might find it offensive. Right? They're like, dude, it's kind of offensive that you have to tell people to smile, right? But I'm like, it's not offensive because you're setting the right expectations for what this job entails, right? And people love to know what their job entails. Like the worst feeling as an employee that I felt was that you have no clue what people expect of you. Right, right. And so, yeah, that's how they run billion dollar organization is they have really detailed processes that are not insulting, actually, that set very clear expectations and people then know to that's the baseline right if we can at least do the baseline and excel from that go above and beyond and you know be overly helpful it doesn't say be overly helpful on there but but you know if i can be overly helpful beyond the baseline of smiling and doing my job then that's when you have room for promotion and growth and things like that but i think that's the thing that most businesses are afraid to do is take the time to set the baseline processes. I would feel like a lot of businesses would try to improve their processes and build better systems, especially if they're trying to grow. Absolutely. Businesses that understand scale and growth do. What I'm really pointing at are a lot of small business owners 
which is how I qualified ourselves. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like hanging on to the things that you do know and the things that you can do well. Yeah. And that's what I feel like cripples a lot of small business owners, restaurant owners, dry clean owners. Like literally they create a business, but they're enslaved to it Mm -hmm. because they're not replaceable. They built a system, an organization where they're not replaceable. And they think that by not being replaceable, they are protecting their business. But in fact, they are just screwing themselves over, in my opinion. Maybe it's almost even a, like a sense of value or a sense of worthwhileness. Like they feel that if they lose what they're responsible for, that they become valueless. And it's very attached to their identity of who they are, right? I think you're spot on there. This comes down to like perspective because you can view it that way. And I think for many people, small business owners, they do view it that way. But for me, I view it as maybe because I have a different value system as to why I'm an entrepreneur and why I want to create businesses. I want to create businesses to solve bigger and hairier problems. And I want to create businesses to create more and more jobs. And I'm saying this because if you have that mentality that you just mentioned, where you think you're the most valuable person, then you're limiting yourself in your ability to to solve bigger problems and also create more jobs. If you think your success and your value is because of your team, of your organization, of the people that you build up, then it's just a different (laughs) ballgame. I agree. Right? Like, I don't think I'm the most valuable person in my company. Absolutely not. I think all my team members singularly and collectively are more valuable than me. (laughs) Yeah, Sean, I don't know your team well, but I'm going to have to agree with you. I think as leaders or as managers, if you think you're the most important person, then that's kind of a very wrong attitude to go into. It's hubris. Yeah, definitely. That's what it is. What about you? How was your week? My week was good. I listened to our last episode and we were talking about, I feel like we talked about a lot of stuff. And one of the things that stuck out was about breaking the chain expansive meditation and like letting go and like interrupting the cycle, all these different phrases. I was thinking about this and I realized that I actually thought about this maybe a few months ago and I came across a interview with Mel Robbins on impact theory. And she wrote a book called The Five Second Rule. Yeah. And I think that exactly encapsulates the idea of breaking the chain or like letting go, interrupting cycles because she talks about how, you know, a lot of times we, before we make a decision to do anything, we'll often hesitate. And hesitation actually like kills motivation or it, like it actually, apparently it causes our minds to signal that there's like stress. Because when you mm-hmm. know that you can do something or you make an immediate decision, you just go and do it. But when you hesitate, it's almost like an alarm saying like, whoa, you're hesitating. There must be something wrong. And so your mind automatically switches gears to being like on a defensive mode and not in an attack mode. And she talked about how the way to actually beat hesitation is this five second rule by counting down from five seconds. And that counting down actually triggers like a different part of your brain and it makes you go into action. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, like that makes a lot of sense where if you also want to let go of something, if you want to break the chain of like negative thoughts or something, you can just count down from five. Last week, you also said that negative thoughts don't stay with us for very long, right? You said there's like scientific proof behind this. Yeah. And I was thinking of like, 
if that's true, that means there has to be kind of a way to get past that even faster. And yeah, I was just going through what I wrote before and I was like, oh, and I came across this like Mel Robbins concept. She has an entire book about this, which is kind of crazy. I've actually seen her speak in person about it. Oh. Is that like a Tony Robbins event? But it is fascinating. I forgot the exact context of the 54321. Like, what do you do afterwards? So she uses it a lot about when she was saying she was trying to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Like, when you're depressed, you just stay in bed forever. Her example is kind of silly, but she imagines that she's with NASA. Yeah. And that it's like a shuttle launch. And when you go 54321, <laughs> you're launching, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when you think like that, your body is just already like starting to get tuned to be like, all right, I'm going to go do the thing that I was going to do. So anything that's difficult, let's say that you have to make a cold call and you don't want to do it. Yeah. Mindset is five, four, three, two, one, and then just dial that number and just go and do it. I like it. And so she says she applies it to a lot of stuff, even with anger. When you're about to react in anger, you can catch yourself, count down from five, those five seconds shifts your brain into a different gear and you almost have a little bit more control of what you're doing and it breaks whatever cycle that you have tuned in already, right? And so for me, yeah, I started doing that for snoozing and I can like get up pretty well now when I set an alarm. And also it's a way for me to hesitate less. I think with a lot of hesitation, with a lot of decisions, I hesitate a lot. And the reason why I do this is because I've lost a lot of self-confidence over the years because I've always felt that I was doing something wrong. And with this, I'm combining this idea of like letting go. How do I let go? How do I release and break the chain of thoughts? Because oftentimes when you're trying to do something, right, you get distracted and you follow the chain of distractions. And yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, how do I break the chain? How do I just like come back to what I'm going to do? Oh, I'll just... I'm thinking about whatever. I'm looking out the window. I see a squirrel. I see the squirrel running up the tree. I'm like, wait, all right, I'm going to come back to what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to count down from five. And then once I hit zero, I'm just back to what I'm doing. Yeah. It's very weird. I've been trying it lately. It seems to have worked because I've forgotten that I was doing it, actually. It's like, I think I do it kind of subconsciously. That's cool. But it's helped a lot. I watched that talk and because it was like a long conference, I like totally forgot to try it. I remember we tried it there, like in person, she made us do it, but never really applied it afterwards. I will be honest. I think when I first heard it, it seemed stupid because how can I make a decision change in five seconds? Like how does counting back in five seconds really work? Yeah. I think a big part of it is an attitude shift. Like if you already think like this is not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work. Even with that attitude though, if you just tell yourself, after I get down from five, I'm just going to go and do what it is that I'm going to do. And you just go and do it. And the first few times, it's going to feel weird. You might even like stop yourself. You might try to make that cold call and you count down from five, you pick up the phone and you dial the first numbers and you kind of decide not to. Mm -hmm. But even that action of picking up the phone and dialing is already an interruption of your cycle of hesitating to do something. I think slowly as you keep doing it, it retrains your mind to decide to take action. And I feel like that's 
something huge in my life that I, I realized with this no snooze thing. So I've been trying not to snooze. I think a lot of people have always tried not to snooze, right? But you then snooze and then you snooze repeatedly. And then by the time like you get up, it's been like a half hour and then you schedule in the half hour time. I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m., but I don't really have to be up until 7.30. And so between 7 and 7.30, you set seven alarms. They go off at random times, but you just like snooze repeatedly, right? Yeah. But I actually think that that sets your day up to expect that you're okay not to follow your own rules and you're okay to hesitate. You're okay to not take action. It's okay to kind of stall between things that you want to do. Because if you start off the morning like that, you're telling your body that it's okay, which I don't think it mm -hmm. is. And it's totally okay to like stay in bed for five minutes or 10 minutes. And who the hell actually wants to get up in the morning anyways. But making that shift and thinking, I'm going to fucking get up and I'm going to do whatever the first thing is that I want to do that day. Yeah. I think it shifts your mind into a gear that you didn't know you had. And you can just go and do that first thing, whatever that is. Whether it's like brush your teeth, wash your face. Maybe some people are like, they do push-ups in the morning when they get out of bed. I have no idea. Yeah. I used to like meditate when I like first got up. I tried that for like six months because it helps me like still be in that snoozy mode. <laughs> it's like half awake mode. Yeah. Still just half awake waking up. So it's very interesting what you're saying because you're absolutely right. No doubt about it. When you do the snoozing thing, it's I think it just sets the wrong expectations. And I think there's two solutions to it. One is people who pre-plan their day, just like the people that put the shoes out so that mm -hmm. they can just go to the gym or their clothes. They set their clothes out right the night before. There's some people that like plan out their mornings the night before so that they don't have to think about what they need to do the next morning. They just wake up and they just do it. Right. And then I have since, and for me, this is an ebb and flow. Some years in my life, I'm like that. I'm like in a stage in my life where I'm just like, dude, I'm just going to wake up when I want to wake up. My body wants me to wake up. And the only things that will definitely get me up is like this morning, I had a call at 8.30 and I just know I need to be up for that call. And I don't have to think about it. I just have to be up for this call, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I set my alarm for eight, but I always have an alarm five minutes before every single call. And so that's my reminder, just like, you got to get on this call. Yeah. Or you got to do this next thing. And in some ways, I guess my day is a little bit pre-planned and dictated by other people. But honestly, I'm not a morning person. I'm like biologically, they've done studies on this where like 20% of the population is AM shifted, 20% is PM shifted, and then the other 60% are just in between. It's actually biological. Oh, I didn't know that. Because back in the day when you're in a village setting, like if we're in a village together, like you needed people to watch the camp in the morning. You needed people to watch the camp at night. And so it's actually in our DNA that we are actually AM shifted or PM shifted or day shifted. Majority of people are just day shifted. I see a big smile on your face. So I'll explain this a little bit more. No, this is super interesting. I, I love it. <laughs> I took a productivity class last spring at Berkeley. And this is one of the things that they taught. What does it mean to be AM shifted versus PM shifted or your day shifted? It has to do with your circadian rhythm which is your, your nighttime rhythm. But then there's your, your ultradian rhythm, U-L-T-R-A-D-I-A-N. And that is your, your daytime cycle that is matched up with your circadian rhythm. Your body is like in this like sine wave all day. But the thing with morning AM shifted people is that when they wake up, their energy and their brain is like high functioning. And then as the day goes long, 
they actually taper off. And so by the evening, they're just like, they're zombies. They're pretty useless. PM shifted people are the complete opposite. We wake up as zombies. By we, I mean me. I don't know about you. And then as the day <laughs> goes on into the night, I get more energy. <laughs> like My brain starts turning on. Uh-huh. And that's just that. And then the rest of the people, they have this peak and trough sort of situation. They kind of slowly ramp up in the morning, but not as slow as a PM shifted person. And then they start tapering off in the evening. This is like, that's the bulk of the population, 60% of the population. I am biologically, same with my dad, we're PM shifted people. We, As a night goes on, I get more energy. <laughs> it's just, oh. So what do you do though? as a PM shifted person. I'll just use me as an example. In the mornings, what am I supposed to do in the mornings? Well, when your energy is actually low, you're actually supposed to do creative work because then your brain is not hyperactive and thinking about a million things and juggling. It's actually the best time because you kind of have a blank slate in your brain to do creative work. So writing for someone like me is great in the mornings, just anything creative. And the same goes flip for AM shifted people is like, as their brain power is kind of widening down, at evening time is actually a good time for them to do creative work, like writing or things like that. Because again, your mind is just uncluttered. And then your most productive hours, you're supposed to do work work, I guess. Oh. What about for people who are neither AM shifted or PM shifted? I have no idea. I didn't read into that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm PM shifted. Done. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. No joke. Versus my wife is completely AM. She's like a morning person. And part of what this helped me accept too, James, because I honestly don't know anything about the rest of the population. I'll have to Google that. Just look into ultradian rhythms. What helped me grapple with my own life is I've always felt like, you know, you read about these successful people who are like, wake up at 4 a.m., exercise and like yeah. CEOs and start their day. And you think that's, that's just how you're supposed to be, right? If you're not that, then you can't be successful. Yeah. Well, this just broke that belief for me. It's like, no, there's different people out there. It just so happens that the ones you hear about are like that, but there are plenty of other successful people that have different kind of rhythms and don't tell those stories. I'm sure a lot of famous people are, but it's just not the story that's been promoted lately in the past couple of decades, I feel like. Because you do hear about people, you know, traditionally burning the midnight oil. Nobody's like, wait, what are the people burning the midnight oil doing in the mornings? Are they like also getting up at 4 a.m. and like just killing it with their workouts? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> They're probably pretty useless in the morning. Yeah. And they just happen to be PM shifted. They're probably sleeping until 2 p.m. Yeah. So yeah. long story short, I turned off on my iPhone, I turned off all snooze functionality. There's no snooze. You can actually turn off snooze for your alarms. Oh, I, I did not know that. I'm either going to sleep in until I feel rested and give myself that grace instead of beating myself up for it. Because I think we're very fortunate and privileged in that sense. Like we can do that. Or I'm going to get up because I have to do something. <laughs> that is an external force. Yeah. Just some food for thought. I'm not sure what I am. I used to be a night owl. But over the years, I've shifted to doing a lot of things in the morning. And the reason why I started doing a lot in the morning was because I realized that if I found that I wanted to do something, the only time that I could do it was before I went to work. And mm. that's when I started to wake up earlier. For example, I think when I first moved to LA, I wanted to try to start working out again. And I realized that I couldn't work out after work. I just wanted to go home and do nothing. Mm-hmm. So I started to do the workouts in the morning. And then another thing is I've been trying to learn piano. 
And the same thing applied there. I thought because piano was something creative, I was like, oh, I can just play this easily when I come back home from work. But even then, I could not do it. I couldn't play or do anything other than watch sports and Netflix. So I shifted. I think the first time I tried this, all I did was I woke up like 10 minutes earlier, just 10 minutes and just went over to the keyboard and like clinked on the keyboard or like put on my shoes and just like went outside for a walk. That process that was five years ago slowly started to make me wake up in the morning more and more. Let me ask you this. I mean, this is typically like the indicator is if you were to map out your energy, how does your energy kind of ebb and flow throughout the day? That's question number one. And the second question is, when do you feel like you get your best work done when you're doing work work? Not just creative work, but just any kind of work historically. Historically, it's it's the mornings before lunch. The best work. Yeah. And do you find that you have like energy, good energy in the morning? Assuming you had a good eight hours of sleep the night before, do you find that your energy is highest in the morning, highest in the afternoon, or highest at night? I'm not sure right now. Because when I think about work, when I used to go into the office, mornings before lunch was when I got the most done. Mm -hmm. Because after lunch, I was always tired. And then at like three o'clock, I was already thinking like, all right, it's time to go home. (laughs) Yeah. But there are times too where I can work into the late hours and get a lot done at like fucking like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 1 a.m. And that's when things are just clicking and it just made sense. Okay, along that line of thinking, do things click for you and make sense typically in the morning? Like for me, mornings are pretty foggy. Like <laughs> just like it's just a fog for me. That's why I do calls in the mornings. I'm just like doesn't require much thinking. I'm just talking to people. I'm not sure. I'm gonna pay more attention to this now. Yeah, just look up the Altradian rhythms. It's called biological rhythms. Yeah. There's some really interesting studies behind it. Before we wrap up, any big struggles for you? You had some pretty big struggles last week talking through how you're feeling. Are you feeling a little bit better? Feeling the same? Not worse. I'm feeling the same. But this past week, I actually wrote about how like, I'm redesigning systems that I have to be built for growth instead of towards emotional goals, like emotional outcomes. And writing that out has helped me to really piece together that this is something that I can overcome. This is very possible for me. And I think understanding that, like having hope in a sense, for a long time, I think I felt hopeless. <laughs> I felt like this is my life. This sucks. But <laughs> I don't know, even thinking about it now and like talking out loud, of it, it sounds ridiculous and it sounds funny. But just being able to say, hey, like I'm changing my systems to think about this. It doesn't necessarily help my subconscious yet right away because it's still thinking very negatively. I still feel like shit a lot of times, but it's a little different. And maybe even you can hear it in my voice where like last week, I probably sounded just miserable and depressed. This week, I'm still miserable and depressed, but yeah, there's like a different kind of hope, a different kind of spin to how I'm thinking about things. That's awesome. That's good. You know, a lot of times it's just about seeing our struggles in a different light. I think that's what I love about this podcast that we're doing is that we share the struggle and then we try to see if we can frame it in a different way. Yeah. Because as with any struggle, I think it can be framed as like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Or it could be framed like, oh, this is like a really interesting challenge. There's just so many ways we could frame it. Right. I guess I'll end this episode on a quote that a buddy sent me this past weekend. He's been reading this book. It is called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. 
And he was just really moved by this book. We've read a lot of the books together. Him and I have read a lot of books that you know I've taught you about courage to be disliked. I haven't mentioned to you yet, but like One Blade of Grass, The Surrender Experiment. Last week we talked about Mindset. Yeah. Mindset with Carol Dweck, The Surrender Experiment, and The Untethered Soul. These are both Michael Singer's books. Anyway, these books are all along the same vein, the same type of thinking about your mindset and whatnots. But he was just really moved by this book called Love What Is because it helped him see a different perspective on the same issue of letting go, of acceptance. These are words that are just like, when you hear for the first time, like, acceptance? What, what, what? I don't want to be accepting. I don't want to be content. You know, like, what is acceptance? What is letting go? Like he said a couple of weeks ago. But this book helped him get some clarity on the issue, at least. And one of the quotes that he shared with me was like, he said, we're disturbed not by what happens to us, but by our thoughts about what happens. And this is the Greek philosopher Epictetus. I think that's how you pronounce it. And I mean, the quote itself didn't really impact me that much because I feel like I already have a lot of clarity in this area. But sometimes when I hear something new, it just framed a different way. It just like really impacts me and has more personal attachment to it. So I'm just glad that we have all these brilliant minds writing. (laughs) And so to encourage you, your writing is unique and it might help someone unlock a knot in their lives. I hope so. I think the first person is trying to help is just myself. <laughs> so if anyone feels like me, I hope it will help you. Yeah. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to find us on our uh, social media profiles. If you want to come on the show, <laughs> also let us know. Happy to have you on the show as well. But until next week, this is Sean. And this is James. Have a good week, everyone. Mm-hmm.